You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network, powered by Interstate Batteries. From your truck to your trail camera, Interstate Batteries has you covered. Visit your local Interstate Battery store today or online at interstatebatteries.com. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras, the number one podcast for bow hunting product information and hunting stories from across the nation. And now, here's your nine-fingered host, Dan Johnson. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Nine Finger Chronicles podcast, brought to you by Exodus Trail Cameras. Let's see. It's Wednesday. And let me just give you a snapshot of what is going on in my house at the moment. Not this specific moment, but like throughout the last month or so. So I got a I got a daughter who is an absolutely awesome human being. I love her so much. But she has an attitude of like a 16-year-old. She, you know, I said Hey, let me take a picture, you know, I'll send it to grandma. And she did the whole hip pop, hand on the hip, like kissy face, duck duck lips, I think they call it, picture. And I was just like, what are you doing? You're, you're too young to be doing that. So I got a little girl who's growing up way too fast. My almost three-year-old son, uh, we are potty training right now. And he's doing fairly well, to be honest with you, but... Uh, he's very stubborn when he gets in the bathroom and he wants to stand and do it like dad and his aim is not yet like dad's so uh, it's like he's a, a urinating sprinkler in our bathroom there's piss everywhere and so you know after every time he goes and defaces the bathroom we have to wipe it down and whatnot and then I have a five month well he's six months old now but I got a six month old who does not want to sleep through the night at all. Uh, and he gets up every hour and a half. If we're lucky, we get two hours of sleep in a row. And then he blows up and he throws a fit. You know, we're, we're trying the cry it out method right now. And I don't think it's working. <laughs> I, I don't know. Have you ever been so tired you start to hallucinate? and you think you've had conversations with people like uh, you know you talk to your wife and she's like no you never told me that I'm like I swear to god I told you that but you know I was hallucinating or something at the time and so needless to say I am freaking tired 
all the time now. And then I get up, uh, I, I, I got to be to work at six and then I, you know, I start my day, uh, and then I come home, I do some podcasts, some recording, I go do family stuff like dinner and all that stuff, play with the kids. And then I, their bedtime is eight o'clock. And it takes about an hour <laughs> to brush the teeth, get them settled, read them a book. I get back up here, oh, some somewhere around nine o'clock, and then I do my editing and stuff. And depending on how much editing I have to do and uploading and whatnot, uh, work on uh, the Sportsman's Nation Network or the Nine Finger Chronicles. Uh, I'm up until about eleven, and then the baby's you know getting up throughout that whole time, so. This is the perfect episode for what we're going to talk about today, and it is Hunter's Blend Coffee, all right? So our good buddy Paul Kurtz, he's going to talk to us about Hunter's Blend Coffee and how it's made for hunters and why you know he's a hunter and an and, and awesome story, uh, even a really cool story about how he got bit by a spider and then killed a Boone and Crockett buck. Uh, because you know with a, a brown recluse very venomous dangerous spider to get bitten by he got bit by one of those and he kills a booner so he tells this uh, awesome story about how he started a coffee company and how he killed a booner with a brown recluse spider bite and why is all this important anyway i just kind of got off topic but coffee right i i i literally think i would be smoking crystal meth if I didn't have coffee, it would be the only way to stay awake. Uh, and then my teeth would fall out and I think spiders would be crawling on me, but coffee, right? I, I have to have it throughout the day. I have to have it after I get home from work. (laughs) So I don't fall asleep. I have to have it after supper. So I drink a lot of coffee and, uh, I thought that this podcast would be appropriate for all of us, uh, out there who love to hunt but are, you know, live that family life as well and don't get as much sleep as we probably need to. So that's what today's podcast is about. Before we get into the podcast, though, I want to talk about the the very first partner to ever join this, uh, this podcast, and that is Exodus Trail Cameras. If you guys haven't tried an Exodus Trail Camera by now, you're in luck because the company's still in business. They're doing great, and <laughs> they have an absolutely kick-ass product, right? So you, they had the Lift 1, right? It evolved into the Lift 2, an even better camera than what, uh, you know, than what they per- put out. It's like the, the Gen 2. So they have the Lift 2. It's the next generation. It is completely badass. They have a ton of great features and benefits, you know, like the theft policy, the damage policy. So all these things that go along with an actually awesome product, right? I don't know about you, but before I started using an Exodus trail camera, I would be up at night worrying about if my trail cameras were taking pictures, uh, whether for you know whether it was a, a formatting issue or you know a setting issue or or whatnot with an Exodus trail camera I turn it on and it takes pictures I don't know about you but knowing that uh, my trail camera is working is a big thing for me so uh it's a badass uh it's a badass trail camera you should go check it out and by the way they co- came out with a new camera called the Trek and it is a lower price point 
uh, trail camera with still all the same warranty and benefits, but, uh, you know, it's at a lower price point, still an, a badass camera. And, uh, it's, you know, now they have literally a camera for everybody. And, uh, I tell you what, there's also some, uh, rumblings of, uh, some cell cameras coming down, hopefully by this summer. I don't know if I was supposed to say that or not, but I, I did. And I don't like to edit out, uh, what I've already said. So please go to exodusoutdoorgear.com. Check out their warranty check out all the you know the statistics on the camera the functionality of it um, they have the lift too they have the trek see what camera is great for you and then buy one and when you buy one enter the discount code nine fingers that's the number nine followed by the word fingers and you can receive twenty dollars off of your purchase so that's a badass offer now Enough of the talk. Let's get into today's BS session podcast, I guess we'll call it, with Hunter's Blend Coffee and Paul Kurtz. All right. On the phone with me right now, Mr. Paul Kurtz. How are you doing today, Paul? Hey, I'm doing fine, Dan. Cool, man. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to give a little intro here on how this all kind of came to be. <laughs> My buddy, Ryan, we're at the ATA show. And I had him walk up and down all the aisles and look for new products and, uh, you know, go out and shoot some bows. And he comes back to me and he's like, dude, you got to check out this, this coffee. And I'm like, coffee, what do you mean? Like they're selling coffee at one of the concession stands. And he's like, no, man, they got a booth. It's called Hunter's Blend Coffee. You got to check it out. And I was really busy. So unfortunately I didn't get to go to the booth and, Ryan, like for three or four weeks after uh, the ATA show, he's like, have you got a hold of this guy yet? Have you got a hold of this guy yet? I'm like, no, I haven't. So finally, I gave in to pressure and I reached out to you guys. And here we are today talking a little bit about, uh, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about coffee. That sounds good. All and right. You know, Dan, Ryan, Ryan called me just couple hours ago and ordered five pounds i mean he's like yeah. that's what businesses do you know right. trucking companies there that, he is he, i tell you what me and him we really like coffee he's uh he's a he's a kind of he's a coffee connoisseur he also is a bourbon connoisseur uh, Good. He's a he's a big fan of bourbon and he's a big fan of coffee i am this in the same boat as him so uh you know obviously hunters you know, we're getting up early, probably drinking a lot. Hunters drink a lot of coffee, and uh, I think that's just a perfect fit for, for this podcast. But before we get into all that stuff, why don't you just tell us where you're where you're from and maybe give us, you know, obviously you're either the you're involved with Hunter's Blend. Uh, tell us what you do at Hunter's Blend. Yeah, well, uh, I'm located in Mechanicsburg, Ohio. It's pretty much directly halfway between Columbus and Dayton. There's a signage off of I-70 north of uh, I-70, about 10 miles, is Mechanicsburg. And for the last 10 years, my wife and I have been importing full containers of green coffee from coffee-growing countries. And, of, uh, and, and we do it as a way to do community development and increase capacity and economic help 
I worked for 20 some years with a mission, a church organization, and we were just always given handouts and, and people asking for money and we gave money. That's kind of what we did. But I just felt like that was like crack. You give people money, they need, then they got to, you know, a week later they need more. Right. And they always need more and they become dependent and it destroys dignity and destroys initiative. And so I wanted to do something that these guys, if they work hard, if they really want to get ahead, that there was a shot for it, and it was creating markets for really good coffee. And so we started about 10 years ago, and I've been trying to get my head around what good coffee is. We started roasting. I uh, went through the hoops to become a Q grader, which is a set of protocols for scoring and cupping and, and really a common language for coffee. A little right. bit like a, I don't know if bourbon does it, but wine, there's wine tasters. You slurp yeah. and spit and you make oats and, and you try to put a objective view on what you're tasting. So somebody up next state over could, would say the same thing. And if you're a Q grader, so there's like 400 registered licensed Q graders in the U S it's, it's a small group, but I worked hard at that, getting that certification. And, and, and today we're doing maybe three or 4,000 pounds a week that we roast and ship around the country. Uh, I provide green coffee for other roasters, but Dan, I love hunting and I, I don't know how much you want to go into right now, but, uh, I was also, I've imported enough coffee. I go to all the coffee shows uh, in Portland, in Seattle, and I'm talking right there about the the West Coast. Right, that's the mother church of coffee. Right, but it's also full of organizations and causes working directly against the very things that I love. Right, my guns and hunting and uh, and when I go to when I hit was using coffee from a lot of importers they were sponsoring and supporting causes you know to save the trees and save the whales and and save everything and i'm for saving everything but there's got to be a way that it makes sense economically as well yeah the two are not it's so so i i just started saying man there's tons of hunters i know coffee makes the hunting world go around literally first right. guy up in the morning put the coffee on Right. And yet mostly coffee that is purchased by or through channels that are not at all conducive to hunters. So we're trying, I'm trying to get a line of coffee, a hunter's blend coffee that supports and uh, sponsors, you know, we we are trying to work with national deer lines and whitetails unlimited and, and put back into the causes that, 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 that are dear to us. So that's what Hunter's Blend is is working at doing. Okay. So my question is, I've never met anybody who does what you do, okay? So how does a guy go from, like, mission work to all of a sudden saying, you know what, I want to establish a... I guess a you know a, a distribution chain between these countries and America, and I want to be a coffee importer. <laughs> well, that you know, I wish I could say, Dan, it's you. you I sat down and did a uh, huge marketing strategic plan uh, with my action steps and my uh, uh, resources needed to accomplish the action steps. And if I did all the action steps, I would accomplish these goals. And if these goals were met, I would do my mission. Right. I did not do that. 
I okay. just stumbled along. Uh, okay, so there was a real kind of turning point in my in my mind, in my heart, you might say. Uh, one summer, I went from Kenya. I flew directly from Kenya to Ecuador, from Ecuador up to Costa Rica, and Costa Rica home. I was gone about two weeks. Three pretty large meetings in each of those countries out in rural areas, and so happened all three meetings were on coffee farms. And every meeting were community leaders and pastors and educators asking, lining up basically, asking if our organization would fund their next great big thing they were doing. And and yet every morning I'm smelling coffee roasting out in the shed, and then they bring it and they were grinding it, they were brewing it. And I kind of had this aha moment. I, I just purposely asked some really stupid questions. I, I asked, and most of the guys in the meetings were coffee farmers. And I said, hey, look, I pay $15 a pound for, coffee, for Costa Rica at Starbucks uh, last week. How much of that did you get? How much, what do you get paid for coffee? Or I think I actually asked, I pay $15. Why are you asking me for money? You have all the money. Yeah. I bought your coffee. And they, you know, they like, man, you're either drunk or you're from another planet. That ain't how it works. Yeah. We make nothing. And, and so I, it, it sent me on a, a three year journey of, of never planning on quitting my day job. I loved what I was doing. I was just simply going to say, you know, there's gotta be roasters in the region here who would, who would love to connect with, with this farmer here in Costa Rica or in Ecuador. So I'll just connect you. And so I took business people. Sometimes there was 12, 14 on a tour. And we just made kind of business learning trips into coffee growing zones. All we were doing, all I was doing, was inviting them to use their business heads and figure out who's making the money. What's going on? These guys are poor. Starbucks is charging me $15. Where's the money go? And as we started scratching, we, we visited farmers, we visited co-op, heffies are like directors. Yep. We visited government agencies that regulate the exportation and the growing of coffee in Costa Rica, for instance, called eCafe. And I remember them saying, oh, the farmers make all the money. We set the prices and the farmers, and we had just came from a coffee farm that said, we don't make any money. eCafe makes all the money. And it's like, I said, somebody's lying. And on one of these trips, I actually had an Indiana State revenue auditor with me. And I said, dude, I need you to find the money trail. He said, I'll find it. So he kept wanting to meet with other people. And at the end of the, at the end of the week trip, he said, you know, everybody's got their own interests to protect. He says, they're not like lying because they just, you know, want to lie. They're, they're, they're really, they're all struggling prices. It's, it's a commodity. It's, subject to supply and demand and and they're all protecting who they sell to and who they buy from and they're not telling us the whole story right and what's needed in this case is a direct you need to go directly to the farmer bring it up cut out all these five six parties because most farmers sell to a buyer that buyer has somebody who wants to buy the thousand pounds that he bought say from the farmer and then that third buyer is looking to put a 20,000-pound shipment together. That 20,000-pound shipment buyer is looking to help a guy put 12 or so 40,000-pound containers together. That 12 
container buyer is doing a hundred selling off to a hundred container shipment to Germany. And there's four or five and they're, they're almost cartels. They're families that have been there almost generations. Right. And to break into that in Kenya and Ecuador, I mean, it is tough. And fortunately about 10, 12 years ago started a movement to break up the monopoly that large corporations had on exporting the U.S. government said, all you need is a, uh, a register with the FDA. You can import food stuff, anybody. And the countries followed suit, like Guatemala, I think, was first and said, well, it's just $35 is all a farmer needs for a license to export. And that changed everything. I uh, that started. I started my first container with a, a good friend of mine in Matagalpa, Nicaragua, Diego Chavaria. And he'll probably listen to this podcast. So Diego, <laughs> you the man. You taught me everything. And we went together to the the government agency in Managua, got him a license. I paid the thirty five bucks, set him up. He became my power of attorney in country and I became his agent to import in the US. And today I do two or three containers a year with him. That's about a hundred and twenty thousand pounds. I pay him twice what he's ever seen in country for coffee. And when you're talking that 80 cents a pound is what he was getting to 220 to 240, depending on the quality, we score it. And he, there's incentive for him to pay a little more uh, to, to do the steps necessary to get a good cup. And if we get a good score, I'll pay him a little more. So to pay him two forty-five, I mean, if he can make an extra dollar on 40,000 pounds, that happens to be $40,000. Right. And in a country where an average male makes three to 400 a month, a, a, a farmer with an extra 40,000 per container selling me three containers a year, that's $120,000. He right. suddenly is, has money at the end of the season to keep everybody working in the community. There might be 300 people on his farm during picking yeah. and then he lays them all off. And if it ain't coffee, it ain't anything. Right. There's nothing else in, in town. So when the farmer has money, he can keep people working. When people are working, they got a little money to go buy batteries for their headset. The little store that he bought the batteries from now has money to buy meat for the rice and beans. The butcher now has got money to buy motorcycle tires. The tire store now has got money to buy an LP tank for his wife at home instead of wood. And that money just circulates in this little village. And suddenly the difference in that community from 10 years ago is unreal. So it's you, unreal. You've and stimulated an economy. You've stimulated an you economy. You bet. It's, and it's just coffee for Pete's sake. Yeah. And if there's hunters, you know, uh, know that by – you know, by how they spend their money for coffee makes a difference in somebody's pocketbook. Why right. not do do development? Uh, I could tell you stories in Thailand. We we import two containers a year from Thailand. Eighty women who most of them were sex trafficked uh, found full time work at this little co op, hand sorting our coffee. Wow! And so now they got a job with dignity. You know, they love going to work. Their kids are running around. There's medic. There's they're in school. They've got medical needs and. That's that's just a couple. And so that, it, it kind of what I was trying to do with coffee, but I wasn't trying to I didn't want to quit my day job. And I went out to Corvallis, Oregon and spent three days, my wife and I, with the guy we called the coffee guru. He was 85 years old. His name was Michael Savitz. Anybody in coffee very long would know that name. He 
didn't necessarily like to drink coffee, but he was a biologist, uh, sorry, a chemist. Right. And he studied the, the aromas and the, what happens to coffee as it's being, when you put heat on it. And as it goes through the malaria zone and the sugars start caramelizing and the acids are released, what makes it sweet? What makes it bitter? And he did all his research. And for many thousand dollars, you could go out and spend three days and sit at his feet and learn from him. So my wife and I did that. And when I told him what I want to do, I've got a great job. I love it. I just want to connect roasters in the States with great farmers in country. He said, you're going to lose your shirt, buddy. Uh, I said, what? He said, yeah, you're going to get ripped off. There's more coffee. There's more supply than there is demand. So the coffee business is full of bait and switch. You have to know good coffee. And I said, well, how do I, how do I learn what good coffee is? He said, you have to roast. And so I took that to heart. I bought a five pound roaster, then a 35 pound roaster. Now we run two 35 pound roasters and that will do four roasts an hour, four 35 pound roasts an hour. We're not that big, but it's, we, we keep them running and we can go through some volume. But so when I wasn't just importing, I was also roasting. It, it, it just, you got to jump in, dance both yeah. feet, hold your nose, you know? Right. So there was no great scheme and I don't even know how to tell somebody how to get into it. There is a, there is a move. I see it. I'm my wife and I are in the middle of April heading out to Seattle for the specialty coffee association expo. And there's a lot of people wanting to go direct there. What I just laid out to you about buying coffee direct is something that a lot of people want to get into. It sounds really good. And there's a lot of farmers that will pick you up at the airport, bring you out to their farm and screw you. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah. uh, that's the longest short, you know, they see it only as a one time. Uh, I, you know, I can get an extra 40,000 and dump my crappy coffee off on you. Or right. They don't, they don't see it as a long-term relationship of mutual. This has to work from, for both of us. This ha- I, I have to pay the farmer enough that he'll be there next, the next year. Right. I, and on the, but on the other hand, I have to be able to make a profit on it or I won't be here next year. Right. And he can either take it all from me one year and, or send me crappy coffee and I won't buy from him the next year. And so we, we always walk a little before we run a lot. We, we do a little bit. When I start with a new farmer, we, we go small. I don't want to be, I don't want to take all his coffee and, and, uh, you know, kind of cut him off from all his buyers for next year because it may not be the coffee I could use, but that's, that's kind of the way we work. And I don't know how to tell somebody to do it. They just have to, have to, I I guess it's either stupidity or, or (laughs) faith got into this. Right now. I mean, you're also a hunter and with you saying like the word Seattle, like when I think of Seattle, I don't think of very hunter friendly brands, right? For some reason uh, that I'm out there. So correct. So, you know, when people found out in the, in the, in this coffee community that you were, you know, in support of, or maybe you didn't even tell them, but you were in support of like almost everything opposite. Like you said, your four guns, your four hunting animals. When people started finding out about that, did, did you get the cold shoulder? Um, you know, Dan, I, I'm not sure where that's going to go quite because yeah, they're, they're, um, 
they're going to find out about it. In fact, a couple of years ago, and I, I'll probably tell you a little story about it, but I shot a pretty nice deer and uh, it made it, somebody posted it, a picture of it on my Facebook, my business Facebook. Yeah. And I had probably, I, you know, people come out of the woodwork just condemning what a guy would, you know, shoot something like that just to cook the horns or, yeah. you know, you, you're not. And, and I, I, I do try to keep, recognize that I, I do have a lot of customers. I speak a lot at universities, at colleges. We do coffee for uh, Denison University, Wittenberg, for, you know, schools that they're not the most friendliest daughters yeah. or, to, or to the outdoor lifestyle, like fishing and hunting and killing something and eating it. You know, right. they're not into that. But so I, I don't try to uh, intentionally offend them. I just don't feel like I need to try to live two lives either. You right. know, this is who I am. Right. And uh, if you don't like my coffee, there's other coffee you can go get. But I just don't try to slap him in the face with a wet fish either. Right. Absolutely. And so, but I, it's probably going to come. Uh, we're going out in, 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 in middle of April and uh, I've got a bunch of guys that are, are going to, that I meet with uh, 50, 60 and they're going to be asking me about it. Uh, there, there is some tolerance, you know, for, uh, you got a hundred line. Oh, yeah, you a hunter. Yeah. You know, okay. You're a skier, you know, yeah. <laughs> or you're a, you know, a trekker. Uh, I'm, I'm a hunter, but if, when you start posting pictures of dead animals and trophies, uh, that tends to bring out something in some people, maybe they're jealous or maybe they're just crazy. Trolls. I don't know. <laughs> I was surprised. I was surprised uh, for the reaction. Yeah. Right. So just a real quick story, uh, because you mentioned, and and I, I got another friend, uh, his name is Lance and he's my high school buddy and he's a big fan of coffee too. And I was telling him this story the other day that you bring up Seattle. All right. So this was a couple summers ago. I flew into Seattle, uh, and drove North to Wibley Island. Okay. I had a, I I was there. I was there last year. Yeah. So I had a wedding in Langley. So the first the first day, me and my wife go on a trip, and we um, we drive a couple hours west to Olympic National Park. Okay, so in order uh-huh. to get from Wibley Island to that big peninsula in Washington, you got to take yep. a ferry. Take a ferry. Yep. Yep. And yep. so so across. Across from Wibley Island, the first stop is Port Townsend. Okay, it's a it's a small town right on the water, um, and there is a restaurant there that served breakfast. And of all the coffee that I've ever drank in my entire life, there is a one particular cup of coffee that sticks out, and it was drank in this little cafe in Port Townsend, Washington. And I don't know what it was about it. Maybe it was just the day I was having. Maybe it was who I was with. Maybe it could have been a thousand things. But for some reason, that cup of coffee, and I couldn't tell you what it was because I, they, they just, when I said I want black coffee, that's what they gave me. But it was yeah. so good and it stuck out more than any other cup of coffee I've ever had. Yeah. Well, Dan, let me, uh, what you're describing is a phenomena that this, this whole Q grading that I training that I went through is tries to take, tries to work at. 
because really taste is, you know, it's involved in your smells and your olfactory. It's, it's, it's also part of your, your emotional well-being. It's a part of your, how on top of the game you are. There's a lot of, I don't even know quite how to explain it, but there's, there's some subjectivity to taste put right, that way. Right. And there is, it is, it probably was really good coffee. I'm yeah. not doubting that. Uh, but there is something about everything being right with the world and everything is awakened in your senses. And when you drink that beer or when you drink that cup of coffee or you eat that donut, it's the, that is the, it sticks out. And I'm not sure. I mean, food scientists talk about it some that it's, it's probably not just the thing you drank or ate. We, we get people in here all the time say, do you have Kona coffee? We were married last year. And we were in Hawaii, and this was the best coffee. We stood out on the seashore and drank this coffee, and it was – so I'll give them a really good Kona. We have – we had well, – right now I don't. We had a Kona to knock your socks off. Yeah. And I gave it to this lady. That's just, just not the way I remember it. I said, dude and lady – <laughs> what you're trying to ask me to recreate in the cup is the euphoria of being on your honeymoon in the big island, overlook, watching the sun go down over South Pacific, whatever. Can't do it. You know, it's impossible. Yeah. There was <laughs> so there might have been something going on in Port Townsend or whatever. <laughs> uh, but no, that I, I have a cup of coffee. I drank it in Nicaragua outside of Matagalpa. I went in this little co-op. And we sat down. And this, everything, I don't know what, it came out, and it's like, that is the best cup of coffee. Yeah. And I, I remember, but I, it was, there was, you know, it was, re, there was, it was all, and some of the best coffee I had was early morning on a four-day backpacking trip, yep. southern Colorado to an elk hunt. And we're backpacking in, and all I got is the crappiest stuff. It was ground three, four weeks before. It got wet. It dried. It got wet. It dried. <laughs> I brought it out. You're around the campfire. You're colder than nuts. And finally, your water's boiling, and you make this cup of coffee. <laughs> and you look out over the mountain. The sun's coming up. The rain stopped. It's going to be a great day on the hunt. And this coffee, it's the best, you know? <laughs> it's just uh, – it you, you – Put your hands around that cup, and the cups of all past ten years come to bear right there. Right, <laughs> absolutely. So, fill me in on this a little bit. Maybe you know this. Um, I was so my wine. My wife is a huge what I guess they call a wino. Right, she loves tasting uh. wines. <laughs> and she loves wines, um, and I like coffee. Um, is it true that coffee? stimulates more uh taste buds than let's say like a wine or a juice or something else does um i i i I don't know i'll be honest with you i don't know i know that um many wine people talk about 200 different tasting terms right somebody told me this that in wine tasting you're looking at about 100 negative and 100 positives and in coffee, the terminology uh, is more 200, is 400 total. 
Gotcha. So double, uh, so like 200 negative terms, wet dog, um, you know, just weird things. But there is a sensation. And what you're trying to get at is the sensation in your memory bank uh, that you just had with that coffee slurped over your tongue and kind of vaporized. Is it chocolate? Is it tangerine? Is it right? salted caramel? You know, you're just trying to recall a descriptor that would describe what you just sensed when you drank that. So in wine, they talk about a hundred positives, hundred negatives. And I heard somebody, uh, somebody refuted that and said, actually, there's a lot more than that. So it just depends how far. Right. And that's with coffee. Too. It's how far you delve into it. And they claim there's old guys up in New York board of trade that are cuppers. They can cup a, a Guatemala and tell you what, what region, what farm, what slope yeah. on the farm it probably came from. They're so tuned in to a particular origin right. of coffee. Okay. I, I always talk about winos, though. Yeah. Uh, you just called your a wino. I mean, uh, usually a wino don't care if it's Mogan David. You know, they don't care what it is. Just get, you know, just get me drunk. And uh, <laughs> I have a lot of truckers that I call winos. They come in here. They don't care what. I don't care if it's Nicaragua. I don't care if it's Guatemala. I don't care if it's Thailand. I don't care if it's Kenya. I don't care what it is. I don't even care where it's from. Just put it in my cup. Amen. You know, I'm going out the door. <laughs> Amen. I call them winos. <laughs> yeah. Well, I tell you what, this obviously. Okay. So, so the name Hunter's Blend Coffee is be you know the name came about was it always hunter's blend i mean when you started this thing i mean did you always because you have to have a name of a business was it always yeah. gonna be my, hunter's blend well the actual name of my business is hemisphere coffee roasters okay so that that's the mother company and then within it we've carved out i've carved out hunter's blend as a particular blend and we're doing a decaf as well that we're going to just take right straight to the hunting community. And I started about two years ago um, because if, if I took hemisphere coffee roasters, we have 30 some coffees, direct origins, blends. When I say direct origin, be like Kenya. It was grown in Kenya. We call it Kenya double A, but I can take a Kenya. It's got a real thick mouthy body to it and put it with a light, delicate Honduran, it, and and the blend actually has both of those in it. It it doesn't. It, and so you're putting two pieces together to make hopefully a better total, some total. And that's and and so Nicaragua and Thailand coffee together, pretty dark roasted, is what Hunter's Blend is. Right. And people just started recognizing, man, I love that blend. What is that? And it's what I always blended up for myself when I was, you know, whatever, whenever I was going hunting or going, going to be on a day trip and needed coffee, I made up this blend. And so we just kind of took it off. We don't sell the combination in any other form, just kind of a proprietary blend called a hunter's blend. And I did that just to kind of capture uh, that thought, that idea, that, that lifestyle, you know, in a name. Right. That would be recognizable. Yeah. Okay. Well, I tell you what. Definitely, when it's hunting season, I drink even more coffee than what I typically do in a day. And let's see. My routine is wake up, start the coffee pot, take a shower, 
uh, yeah. fill my thermos, drive to work, and by the time I get to work, it's not so boiling hot to where I can, you know, I can I drink it. Then I go have another cup at the office, and then I'll work all, yeah. you know, work all day. I'll come home, and the whatever's left in the coffee pot, that is, you know, obviously it's not fresh, but. Then I put another cup on and then I'll, you know, cook, you know, cook supper, play the kids. And then after this podcast, actually, I'll have another cup and it's almost eight o'clock at night and I'll work till 10, you know, so I I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, it's it's really too bad that deer have a nose. I mean, you know, a lot of hunters say that they just didn't have that freaking nose. Right. Uh, but, you know, goose blind, turkey blind, uh, water, you know, there's a lot of hunting situations that they don't smell. Uh, right. I know this sounds really gross, but I think, you know, some of your but I just I thought already, you know, what what if you could put just a little bit of dough urine in the coffee? <laughs> And we'd actually find that deer were attracted to. <laughs> uh, you might have a problem selling that one, buddy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, just think of all the blends you could do. Put code blue up against pink, oh, man. you know, and uh, yeah, yeah. Well, now kind of gross, but yeah. So we got the so now we have the background right of what you do, Hunter's Blend yeah. Coffee. But now I want a little bit of, of the background on you. Um, so like. You're where are you originally from, and where did you start yeah. hunting? You know, was it as a kid? Was it you know as a young man? To, you know, fill us in there. Yeah. Well, and uh, until I was ten years old, I grew up in Hartville, Ohio, which is between Akron and Canton, Ohio. And I remember us probably six or seven. My dad and I were we had this little wood patch out back, and then this huge field, and we would trap. We were trying to catch coons and stuff, but we kept catching you know wood woodchucks and groundhogs i mean and skunks and so my my dad liked the outdoors but he was not really a hunter but i remember on this time we were back on the edge of this field and we saw a deer track and so this was this is really a testament to conservation and and how whitetail have you know come back but around akron canton there was just that would have been 65 66 in that era 1966 very few deer. It was rare to see a deer. And I just last weekend was up in Hartville at my Uncle Owen Koblen's funeral. He was my mom's brother that really got me. He would sit around at Thanksgiving and Christmas, and I was five, six years old, and he'd talk about going out to Pennsylvania at a deer camp and, you know, show they they'd put the deer on their hood, tie it down, and bring it home. <laughs> and say, Dad, let's go, let's go deer hunting. And and he, my dad wasn't into that, and there wasn't any deer. But when I was 10, we moved to Mercer County, Pennsylvania, northwest Pennsylvania. And that set out the whole right around our place. We weren't at the end of the world there, but you could see it. Right. <laughs> I mean, three dirt roads to get off the main road, three dirt roads back to get to our house. Swamp, woodland, very few farms all around us, woods. And, I mean, deer everywhere. And I began probably about 11 years old taking taking a nice buck, uh, at least a respectable buck. And this is in Pennsylvania where, and I don't know if you got many listeners from Pennsylvania, but a lot. the thing there was if it's legal, it's going down. You know, yeah. it's brown on the – if it's got horns, it's going down. And, and yet I shot some really nice deer. 
through my teens. And, but I, I fell in love with that whole hunting camp, you know, the big woods and, and uncles and, and cousins all coming together and we're, we're staying in this camp, you know, for open, first day of, of deer season in Pennsylvania, man, school shut down. Right. Uh, it was, it was, it was even in those early days that I remember, and I'm 59, I'm not uh, real old, but I, I, I feel it sometimes, but even restaurants would shut down. And to, I, and now the last five, six years, I'd go back there hunting. Now the restaurants, you know, open at three in the morning to catch all the Pittsburgh and the Erie traffic coming in to hunt. But I remember when, you know, I think just shut down. It's deer season. Everybody's out hunting. You, there was no school. And that's kind of my heritage. And then, I mean, and, and my uncle Owen, the guy that we buried last weekend, the phenomenal thing about him was, even though it was a hunting camp, he loved to hunt alone and occasionally would take me with him. He would get on it. If we had big snow, he was the kind of guy that would get on a track and he'd shoot that bugger in the stand in, in, a, in his bed. You know, he would stay on it all day. He didn't He wasn't always successful, but right. those are the ones, the way he loved to hunt and actually set in me a desire. I really love to hunt alone. I don't yeah. like, uh, yeah, and probably as part of it is because where I live now, it's really hard to find land. It's not leased that you can hunt. And so yeah. if you've got a buddy, you got to, you know, work him into it. And it's just a little 10 acre plot. Where am I going to put him? And I just like hunting alone. And I think my uncle Owen taught me that even though at night there was a lot of camaraderie in the morning, getting up, putting the coffee on and cutting your shirt tail off if you missed and, you know, the camp life. That wasn't the way I like to hunt. I, I like to get out my, I don't want to see anybody, you know, right. get on my stand. Um, and then uh, where, where we live here is, is more fields, uh, you know, farming. There's river bottoms, uh, creek edges, and set-aside CRP fields. Uh, there's really, a, there's a good strain. There's good, good buck here, good genetics here yeah. in central Ohio. That's kind of of my back. And, you know, the other thing was my neighbor uh, just up the road, it was back of these three dirt rows was this little Tropels archery shop. And uh, I didn't realize what a wealth that was to have right up there. I could ride my bicycle up there when I was 14. I bought my first bow, uh, a bear bow, just a wooden bow, and then uh, got a whitetail compound bow and moved up and would, would silhouette shoot up there and i understand i found out years later that fred bear came several times to tropel shop and ran a clinic you know i'd wow. love to have met him i didn't i didn't know anything about him but uh and today they say in the museum and i don't know if it's in gainesville or where this bow is but they were trying to find a takedown bow one of the first ones that fred bear had he gave it as a gift Really? Tropel's archery. And at, last year I was talking to a grandson of this Tropel uh, name, uh, man, and he said they gave uh, the, that Fred Bear Museum contacted their family and said, do you still have that gift? And they would like to buy it. Well, they didn't sell it to him. They sent it, gave it to him, gave it back to him. It's in the museum from Fred, Fred Bear's museum from uh, – Rudy Tropel's archery shop in Sandy Lake, Pennsylvania. Gotcha. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool. So you have a kind of a unique story uh, that 
uh, is it your brother-in-law told me? Yeah, yeah, Mike. Yeah. yeah yeah so he he said dan you gotta ask paul about the big buck and the spider bite well i'll tell you um i i don't know if you've ever know anybody's been bit by a brown recluse but i was i had a experience with a brown recluse bit me in my ankle okay and i was high fever i was uh doctoring for it i didn't know what it was in fact i went to the doctor and he said oh, it looks like cellulitis or something here take this and this two weeks later man i went back and he looked at that and said holy moly you got bit by a brown recluse and i said dude i was trying to tell you that two <laughs> two weeks ago and he said well everybody comes in here says they've been bit by a spider nobody is he called his whole staff in all the receptions and nurse practitioners and said everybody look at this this is a brown recluse spider. He said, Paul, you got to get the scabs off because you're going to, I want you back here next week. And if the scabs aren't off, we're going to take them off. I said, how are you going to take them off? He said, you don't want to know. It's not pretty. Scabs. So you have to gonna, take the scabs off of the. Of I see huge scabs. This is about a foot round area that was just pussy. It's gross, man. And yeah. scabby. And it was like eating the muscle was sinking in. There was an indentation about a quarter inch. Anyhow, this is right in the middle of the rut, you know, like November, uh, Halloween, right. November one, November two. And I've got, I, I work closely. I am a loyal follower of, of uh, Huntfish Journal podcast, Jerry on there, his rut functional hunting where you make a series of scrapes and you start them up in the summer and start putting urine in the scrapes, free rut and getting, getting bucks knowing, Hey, there's a girlfriend around here. What the heck? And, and they just, they start pattern and you do not go into that stand until these key days when the buck transitions from running mostly at night to actually coming during the day. And he has a whole system worked out based on declining sunlight of when that, you know, pretty close is. And right on my key days, I'm like, great. I told my wife, I got to go to the tree. She said, you can't even walk. I said, I got to. I got to go to the stand. This is the day. And I get up in my stand long before daylight. I did the shower, the routine. I was clean, man. And I tell you, Dan, I could hardly stand, you know, so I sat and then my leg is throbbing. I got it propped up on a crotch in the tree. And by nine o'clock, I can't take it. I got to get out. And as I'm going down, I bust this huge bugger was coming in, working the scrape line. And he caught me and, and I didn't, uh, you know, he busted out of there. I thought, that's it. Three days later, I said, Grace, I got to go back out there. <laughs> And I did the very same thing again. And when I was walking out, I busted him in a CRP. He ran off. And I knew enough about hunting from, in Pennsylvania at least, yeah. you see one of those and you'll never see him again. You know, right? I couldn't believe I laid eyes on him twice. But it was that day, it was on, I think that was a Thursday. And I mean, I was so bummed. I, I came back to our roastery here and right across the road, just up the street is the pharmacy. 
And I walked over there. In a couple of days, I was going to be going to the doctor, and he was going to scrape my leg. Ugh. And, and I, it just, I was not looking forward to this. And I walked in. I said to the pharmacist, good friend of mine, I said, John, what do you have that will take scabs off? He's like, what are you talking about? And I pull up my pant leg, and he looked at his jaw. You know, he's like, what the world you got going there, buddy? <laughs> but there was a kid standing there, like an 18-year-old kid. He said, that's brown recluse. I said, what do you know about Brown Reflux? He said, hey, uh, where, where, where are you at? Where can I find you? Give me a half hour. I said, well, I'm across the road. He said, I'll be there. I got just what you need. <laughs> and he comes back half hour later with this little bottle of black kind of powder, and it's it's like charcoal. Yeah. He said it's an old Arkansas remedy that when coon dogs and people got bit with Brown Reclose, they put this on it. And it was a brown recluse spider kit. And there was this liquid. You made sort of a poultice, sort of a you know, uh, syrupy thing, and you rub it on your scab. And I wrapped my leg in cellophane so the moisture stayed in there. Damn, the next morning I'm in the shower, and quarter-sized scabs are blowing off, are coming off. And by Sunday, my leg was healing. What? I went to the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I went to the doctor on Tuesday the next week. He's like, I cannot believe this. What are And I took the kit to him and showed it to him and said, you need to <laughs> tell people about this. This stuff works. And I got all my kids have a little kit, you know, because I don't know where I got this spider from. But this 18-year-old kid at the pharmacy <laughs> got bit in the shoulder. He was cutting an apple tree down in Cincinnati. He got bit in the shoulder, came back to Mechanicsburg. And this thing started swelling up and oozing and stuff. And he goes online and, and he said, the first thing he saw was, if you don't do something, generally it will lead to amputation. Yeah. And he's like, Darren, I got to take my arm off. So he <laughs> ordered this thing, overnighted it, and anyway, saved my butt. But by then, rut was over and gun season started. And the second day of gun season, I was in this stand. It wasn't really ideal for, it was a good bow stand. It wasn't really a good rifle. I didn't have long, but anyhow, just at the end of the day, I was, I was doing fine in the streets. I spent the whole day in there. And by evening, it was just before it was four 30. It was just starting to sun go down. This guy stood up. He was laying out there all day, stood up in the CRP. I saw him get up. And I uh, shot him with the 444. We can now in Ohio, we can use straight wall pistol cartridge type rifles. Right. And I love, you know, growing up in Pennsylvania, I was a lever action 30 30 guy, you know? Right. I love 444s and 4570s and the whole older Marlins lever action. So that's what I took him with. But I tell you, it was a, yeah, I, I can't, he was, I really think my rut functional setup had him so convinced. I mean, you know, you, you've just got uh, doe and estrus urine all over the place. You, you basically do an H pattern of scrapes, 50 yards or so long on the on the sides and then across about 30 yards apart. And you're right in the middle of the H cross piece is where your tree is. And these scrapes are on, hope you're trying to find trails that are 30 yards apart or so and do a series of, four or five scrapes on each leg on each upright so you know there's just scrapes all over the place and you're tying licking branches down and and you know i i go now i mean 
it, it really is a way of hunting that changed everything what I do. I work, start late summer, setting up my licking branches, my scrapes, starting to heat them up with urine in early, uh, early September or so, mid-September. Right. And by, by Halloween or first of November, those, those with trail, I put trail cameras on, you know, you, you put trail cameras somewhere, you see a couple buck, you get, I mean, I go from trail camera spots that I would get four or five different bucks that I thought were different bucks. You go to 15, 16 different bucks just coming around. It's like, uh, create a little frenzy, you know, they're only going to do this once a year and they're going to come in for it. Yep. So that, that, that tactic works for you. It does. It really does. I'm a firm believer in it. Yeah. So this buck you ended up shooting, right? There's a little more to the story that, you know, you're playing it off fairly humble because this wasn't (laughs) just a, a, your average Pennsylvania buck. This was a giant, right? Yeah, he was a giant. He was 174 uh, net uh, net score. He had a lot of stickers. I, I don't know exactly how much bones on him. It's it's maybe a, over 180 something, but very mainframe 10, just very you know good mass. Yeah, and, and what's what? Yeah, you shot him. <laughs> you shot him right after you. Like you were in the tree stand and your basically your leg was rotting off. Then you had this magical <laughs> encounter with, with this random eighteen year old kid at a yeah, pharmacy yeah. who gave you some random black powder that you put on your, you put on your leg that you, oh, you didn't. It's like you didn't even question him. You're just like, yeah, I'll see if this I, random black powder I, works. I, yeah. What I had my what I saw myself doing was hanging on the bedpost and the doctors down there scraping my leg. You know, yeah. I was I was not looking. For, I was desperate. So, yeah, it really is. And what's interesting is when he stood up, I saw a glint of antler, but and I saw I, I remember thinking that is a huge body. Yeah, and I shot him and he fell. So I just took my time, got everything down out of the tree and packed everything up and went out to the edge of the field, dropped it off and then walked into the CRP. And I remember thinking, why is he holding his head up? Is that guy still alive? So I'm fully cocked and ready to give him another one. And as I walk up to him, I realize it's his rack that's holding his head up. Yeah. You know, and this thing is and I, I pull him around and, 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 you know, I'm used to shooting, you know, 120 inch deer that not used to it, but that's, that's, I'm okay. I'm not a real, you know, right. Trophy trophy hunter. I just want to, I'd like something mature, something three years old. I like, and this guy was a whole different class. You, you could hardly roll him over. You could hardly gut him out. How do I get this thing up on my Jeep? I got a little, you know, rear hitch rack. How do I even get him up on there? And it was just like, you're dealing with a, a young cow, <laughs> you know, it's just a different animal. It's a whole different class. Right. Yeah. Right. Big deer are a different animal. And why I had three encounters with him, I credit it to this rut functional setup. Yeah. He had no, nowhere else for him to go. That, that was doing it, but I don't know. So you're, you're, homed in there. you're thinking that that setup. All the 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 mock scrapes that you made 
kept him yeah. coming back yeah. to check those on, even though, you know, even in, I see, I hunt in Iowa, right? So even, uh, you know, yeah. I, I get one, if I bust a deer once, yeah, there may yeah. be a chance that I see him again. But if I bust right. him twice in the same yeah. area, I'm not seeing him again. I don't care how many right. days in That's, a row I hunt. Dan, that is my experience. Yeah. I just, you, you just hate, hate it because that's, you just informed, you just educated him, but yeah. something was different here. Yeah. I'm, uh, last year just, well, that, that was 16. So, um, it was before you would shed hunt. It was still, right. it was probably early January. I took my Jeep out there just thinking I, maybe I left some plastic gloves out in the field and stuff like that. I just want to get, make sure it wasn't any, I just kind of relived the moment I think was part of it. So I drove my Jeep right out to the edge of the CRP, walked in there. And so I was cutting around, it's kind of a long story, but I'll make it real short, just kind of cutting around to another section and out of there come, <laughs> it was his twin brother. Oh, I mean, wow. it looked just like it. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, you know, here I just said it on podcast. I don't tell anybody that I got exclusive rights <laughs> to this little, little piece of little honey hole there. That's uh, you know, along a river, along a river bottom. It's, 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 it's secluded. There's some seclusion there right. and farmers let me hunt up against the river. Well, at least you got something to look forward to for uh, this upcoming yeah. season. You got it. You oh got man, it. I'd be jacked. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, Paul, man, I really appreciate uh, you coming on. It's just a, a little bit different of a podcast, and I really like different. You know, different. We, yeah. you know, obviously, the listeners love to hear everybody talk hunting, but when you dive into something a little bit different, to you know stimulate a different part of the brain man i love that and uh yeah the, the... Well, i hope we did that i really really enjoyed it you know and if people want to go to huntersblendcoffee.com and take a look see at what what we're about uh actually it's kind of funny two of my brother-in-laws one of them you met mike and the other is ken beachy he's from near Kelowna, iowa nice um and he, he's taking some nice deer um but the three of us uh it's going to sound really uh, like uh, you go to your cut, you go to your family reunion to marry. Uh, but Ken and I married Mike's two sisters. Oh so wow! We're all three brothers. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and some wife's from Kelowna, Iowa. That's where Mike grew up too, and he, he lives out here in Ohio too. But so the three of us are kind of working at doing the marketing and you know going to ATA shows and. Um, getting the word out on hunter's blend working at this the three of us because we we all three love to hunt we realize in the market is a need for a hunter friendly coffee that the hunters can embrace and know beyond a shadow of a doubt this this supporting causes that are dear to them and actually do some good in the world while they're doing it absolutely man um uh do you have any other trade shows that you're going to be at that, you know, some of the listeners could uh, stop by the booth if you're going to be at any, any more this year? We were supposed to be at uh, the deer and Turkey expo last weekend in Columbus, but because of my, my uh, hero hunt uh, uncle that passed away, I had, we had to cancel that. Right. So no, we don't have any on schedule this coming. We we leave tomorrow morning for uh, grant woods, growing deer TV, 
uh, he has a field day at his proving ground down in Missouri near Branson. And there's about a hundred guys coming in just to learn food plot and, you know, different techniques. Uh, we're going to be doing, we're going to keep him caffeinated with Hunter's plan. We're just setting up a little kiosk and serve coffee all day for him. Absolutely. Uh, but we'll, we'll, we'll let you know, Dan, when we do some more, I think we'll probably, we want to start doing more retail shows. The ATA show is kind of a, you know, a trade show for wholesalers for right. for retail right. shops. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's kind of our plan, Dan, is to try to get uh, racks of Hunter's Blend at places where hunters shop, you know, local stores, possibly Cabela's, but we're really just trying to get it into the the archery shops and hunting stores that people you know, there's a downtime to the hunting uh, sales of guns, maybe, maybe March, April, and maybe they'll go back <laughs> to get their coffee. So if you got anybody listening that has a retail shop, let us know. We got a whole wholesale plan for you, too. And that's huntersblend.com, right? huntersblendcoffee.com okay huntersblendcoffee.com go check it out Paul man I really appreciate you taking time to hop on and uh, chat with us today hey Dan thanks for having me I appreciate it and we'll tell Ryan hi too and there you have it huge shout out to Paul for coming on the podcast and talking about Hunter's Blend Coffee guys be sure to go check out huntersblendcoffee.com see what they have to offer there Uh, check it out buy some coffee because I have a feeling that a majority of you drink coffee. So huge shout out to all of you for taking time to download this, listen to this, go to the sportsman's nation to listen to this, wherever you're going to listen to this podcast, man, I really appreciate. Thank you very much. Huge shout out to all of the partners of the podcast, Exodus, Lone Wolf, Ozonics, Gearhead, Wasp, and Ripcord and Bighorn Outfitters. Uh, you know, if it wasn't for the companies that support this podcast, man, I don't, I don't know where I would be or what I would be doing right now. Uh, I'd be doing a lot less of this is what I can tell you. And I just straight up love doing this. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Please, social media, go to Facebook and like Nine Finger Chronicles and the Sportsman's Nation. Also, go to Instagram. (laughs) I'm so tired right now. Instagram, Sportsman's Nation, Nine Finger Chronicles. And I think that's it, guys. Um, I don't have too much to say. I'm not going to. Oh, go to iTunes and leave a review. Leave a five star review. If you're listening to this right now, go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcast and leave a review. Five stars would be awesome. Um, And if you're going to be in a tree, please, for the love of God, wear your damn safety harness. Have a good rest of the week.